Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Sierra Wireless third quarter conference call. I will now turn the call over to David Climey, VP of Investor Relations, and you may begin. Thanks, and good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining today's conference call and webcast. On the call today are Kent Thexton, President and CEO, and Sam Cochran, our CFO. As a reminder, today's presentation is being webcast and will be available on our website following the call. Today's agenda is as follows. Ken will provide his corporate update, and Sam will provide a detailed review of our third quarter 2020 results, followed by Q&A. Before we get started, I will reference the company's cautionary note regarding forward-looking statements. A summary of our cautionary note can be found on page two of the webcast and is now being displayed. Today's presentation contains certain statements and information that are not based on historical facts and constitute forward-looking statements within the meaning of securities laws. These statements include our strategy, goals, objectives, expectations, (coughs) and commentary regarding the outlook for our business. Our forward-looking statements are based on a number of material assumptions, including those listed on page two of the webcast presentation, which could prove to be significantly incorrect. Additionally, forward-looking statements are based on our management's current expectations And we caution investors that forward-looking statements, particularly those that relate to longer periods of time, are subject to substantially known and unknown material risks and uncertainties that could cause actual events or results to differ significantly from those expressed or implied by our forward-looking statements. I draw your attention to a longer discussion of our risk factors in our AIF and management discussion analysis, which can be found on CDAR and EDGAR, as well as other regulatory filings. This presentation should also be viewed in conjunction with our quarterly earnings release. With that, I will now turn the call over to Kent for his corporate update. Thanks, David. I will start my prepared remarks today with an update on the divestiture of our automotive product line, followed by some comments and highlights from our third quarter. Regarding the sale of our automotive product line for $165 million, which we announced in July, things continue to remain on track, and we expect it to close in the coming weeks. The purchaser, Rolling Wireless, has received the regulatory approvals it requires to proceed, and the Tier 1 automotive customers have also provided their approval and are moving ahead with the transition. Given this progress, we are not expecting any impediments to completing the transaction. The divestiture of the automotive business enables us to accelerate our efforts in our device-to-cloud IoT solutions that generate higher value recurring revenue. It also allows our R&D teams to focus on market-leading 5G programs, including new embedded modules for mobile broadband and new 5G gateways for our enterprise networking customers. With the transaction on track, we are reporting continuing operations in the third quarter with automotive product line under discontinued operations in the income statement. And in our earnings release and during our webcast today, we will be providing GAAP and non-GAAP financial information on the continuing business on a standalone basis, as well as combined with the discontinued automotive product line. Sam will review that in more detail in his summary of the third quarter. So now turning to some highlights of the continuing business in Q3. 
total revenue excluding auto was $113.4 million in Q3, up sequentially from the second quarter. Our business transformation is proceeding well, with two quarters of sequential growth in Q2 and Q3, and we are expecting sequential growth again here in the fourth quarter. Recurring other service revenue was $29.8 million in Q3, up 22% year-over-year and 11% sequentially as our focus on IoT solutions continues to generate positive results. Looking at service wins in Q3 as measured by LTAR, or Long-Term Annual Recurring Revenue, we achieved wins totaling $34.4 million, higher sequentially and year-over-year. In the first nine months of this year, we've secured $95 million in LTAR wins, which is 62% higher than the first nine months of 2019. And this year's win rate was achieved during the pandemic, so credit goes to our global sales team on that achievement. Our hardware design wins also have been strong year-to-date, up over 20% compared to last year. And as you can see from our notes in the Q3 earnings release related to discontinued operations, the automotive business had an exceptionally strong Q3 as the automotive industry ramped up quickly following the shutdowns in Q2 as a result of the pandemic. If we combine the revenue from discontinued operations with revenue from continuing operations in Q3, then total revenue is $180.3 million ahead of our expectations. Sam will provide some more commentary on this in his review. As I mentioned previously, LTAR in the third quarter was $34.4 million, up 76% sequentially and up 62% year-to-date versus 2019. We continue to secure strong IoT solutions wins, and I'd like to share three examples from the third quarter. One of our new global customers is an energy solutions company focused on distributed power, electrical efficiency, and mobile charging stations. They required an IoT connectivity solution that would allow them to quickly deploy their solution globally. Our first project with them is focused on enabling their electric vehicle charging stations in Europe and North America. The differentiator in this deployment was our end-to-end solutions where we provide them with our LPWA module, our Sierra Smart Sim, and cloud platform so they have a single source solution that's immediately scalable and reliable. The services LTAR associated with this design win is expected to be $3.2 million, and the hardware value is about $1.4 million. Another new customer is a global provider of remote diagnostic medical solutions. This customer needed an IoT solution that could gather real-time data 24 by 7 so physicians can provide patients with continuous care. The solution required reliable IoT edge connectivity for their medical gateways to provide both secure video and data links. We were able to provide a leading management platform and a 4G connectivity solution for them in Europe and North America. This is primarily a services win with LTAR expected to be 2.9 million and a small hardware component of about 100,000. A third example is with a leading manufacturer of video surveillance and fleet management solutions. One of their key end markets is school and transit buses where they are providing connectivity where they can get hardware, connectivity, and cloud management and not have to deal with three or four different vendors. Our single solution met their requirements. 
The services LTAR associated with this wind is expected to be 4.6 million, and the hardware value is about 5.6 million. These three design wins are solid use case examples of how we bundle our devices with recurring services to win against the competition. Increase our subscription-based revenue while simplifying the IoT journey for our customers and driving shareholder value for Sierra Wireless. As we look ahead into next year, I'm excited about the market opportunities with our new 5G embedded modules and our 5G gateways and routers. 5G is the most technically challenging evolution in wireless history because of the introduction of micro-millimeter wave technology. Our customers rely on us to get them to market on time with secure 5G connectivity, and they trust us to navigate the complexities of 5G new radio and dynamic spectrum sharing. Some of the key end markets for 5G applications include enterprise networking, public safety, public transit, and asset monitoring. In enterprise networking, we recently announced the availability of the industry's first multi-network 5G gateway solution for first responders, field services, and transit applications. Our new MG90 5G gateway allows customers to leverage existing 4G infrastructure and automatically connect to 5G networks as they are rolled out regionally. Our patented switching algorithm for multi-network routing moves traffic between different cellular networks instantly to provide high-speed, ultra-low latency coverage for moving vehicles. To drive our rollout, we are partnering with carriers on 5G certifications and working to expand the new 5G ecosystem in North America and Europe. To accelerate our efforts, Steve Harmon, Senior Vice President of Americas, who joined us in May, is working hard to build out our go-to-market programs in North America. He's been fine-tuning his sales team, and we are seeing positive bookings coming in with the pipeline improving 50% year over year. We recently held a successful launch with Motorola Solutions to strengthen our partnership with them. And we've also added new distributor, Cinex, in North America. We are pleased with the progress we are making with our partners as we see this as a big part of our growth strategy going forward. Overall, we remain focused on delivering devices, connectivity solutions, and cloud management for our customers. We are seeing more industrial and enterprise IoT customers adopting our end-to-end -end IoT solutions because they have a faster time to market. They scale both easily and globally and have a lower total cost of ownership. We continue to leverage our advantage of working with customers early in the design cycle, starting with our devices and our ability to bundle hardware with integrated connectivity solutions and 24 by 7 network operating support is a key differentiator when we're up against our competition. Globally, our team at Sierra remains very focused on delivering innovative IoT solutions that generate a higher margin, subscription-based recurring revenue, as well as delivering our 5G programs that I just mentioned. With that, I will now pass over to Sam for his review of the third quarter results. Thank you, Kent. Good afternoon, everyone. As a reminder, our third quarter financial results reported in U.S. dollars and on a U.S. GAAP basis. We also put non-GAAP results to provide a better understanding of our operating performance. A full reconciliation between our GAAP and non-GAAP results is available on the IR page of our website. Before I begin with a review of the quarterly results, I would like to point out the sale of our automotive product line is near completion as Kent described in his comments. Given the transaction is expected to close in the next few weeks, 
we have prepared our third quarter financial statements in compliance with U.S. GAAP and segregated the automotive product line from continuing operations. The assets and liabilities that are associated with the automotive business are held for sale on the balance sheet. We are also providing some GAAP and non-GAAP information regarding the discontinued automotive business in the notes to the third quarter financial statements and in our webcast presentation today. Total revenue for continuing operations in Q3, excluding the automotive product line, was $113.4 million, a decrease of 17.1% compared to the same period last year. In Q3, revenue from continuing operations grew sequentially, which was in line with our expectations as we saw some business improvements compared to Q2, which was a challenging environment due to the pandemic. Non-GAAP gross margin in the third quarter, excluding the automotive business, was 34.7% compared to 36.3% in the third quarter last year. In Q3, we initiated some actions to begin right-sizing the business, and as a result, OPEX was down 2.6 million, or 4.8% sequentially. Our non-GAAP adjusted EBITDA was negative 7.4 million, compared to adjusted EBITDA of 3.5 million in the prior year. Operationally, we experienced tight component supply issues in Q3. This is an industry-wide situation, and it continues to remain tight here in the fourth quarter. Revenue in our IoT solutions segment was lower by 15.4% year over year. Within our IoT solutions segment, recurring and other services revenue was $29.8 million, up 22% year over year, driven primarily by growth in the number of connected devices. Recurring and other services revenue represent, represented 26% of our total revenue in Q3. The growth in recurring revenue was offset by lower hardware revenue, primarily due to the impact of the pandemic and some related supply constraints, slower activity in transportation, public safety, and oil and gas sectors, which also impacted some of our gateway business, and continuing pressure from low-priced competitors in hardware-only segments. Revenue in the embedded broadband segment excluding the automotive business, was lower by 21% year-over-year, primarily due to lower mobile computing revenue, the result of prior design win losses that we referred to in 2019. Total gross margin was $39.4 million, or 34.7% in Q3, compared to 36.3% the prior year. The year-over-year decline in gross margin was primarily due to embedded broadband gross margin of 28.5% compared to 33.4% in 2019 due to lower mobile computing margins, the result of design win losses we referred to in 2019. If we look at Q3 on a combined basis with our continuing operations and the discontinued automotive business, then the total combined revenue in Q3 was $180.3 million. The year-over-year increase of 3.6% in Q3 was primarily the result of automotive revenue being up significantly as the supply chain improved quickly following the Q2 manufacturing pandemic-related shutdowns. 
total gross margin on a combined basis in Q3 was $49.2 million, or 27.3%, compared to 31.7% the prior year. This decline in Q3 was primarily due to higher automotive unit volumes at lower gross margins. Adjusted EBITDA on a combined basis in the third quarter was close to break-even at minus 400000 At the end of the third quarter, we had $72 million of cash. Specifically during the quarter, cash flow from operations was negative $7.7 million, which was negatively impacted by the unwinding of a receivables factoring program related to the automotive business prior to the completion of the divesture. If we had not undertaken this pre-closing step, then our receivables factoring program would have generated approximately $10 million in additional cash flow, and our Q3 cash flow from operations would have been positive by approximately $2.3 million. During the quarter, our capital expenditures were $2.9 million, and in Q3, borrowing increased by $19.4 million, with $10 million from our existing line of credit and a term loan agreement of $9.4 million, with CIBC backed by a Canadian government financing program. These activities resulted in a $9.5 million increase in our cash balance from the second quarter. Regarding full year 2020, the impact of the pandemic on our global business continues to remain uncertain. Given these conditions, we are continuing to not provide guidance although we do see continued improvements in our continuing operations. In conjunction with the recently announced divestiture of the automotive business and our focus to grow the business profitably, we have initiated actions to reduce our operating expenses by approximately 25 to 30 million on an annualized basis. The cost reduction program includes the divestiture of the Shenzhen-based automotive team and some additional resources there as well as other broad initiatives underway across the company, including the restructuring of our R&D team located in Hong Kong. That has already taken place. That ends my prepared remarks today. Operator, I would now like to open the call for questions. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, you can press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Mike Walkley from Conaccord. Great. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Hope everybody's uh, doing, well, doing well and staying healthy on the call. Um, I guess, Ken, first question for me is just on the uh, Enterprise Gateway sales. Um, just wanted to maybe get your thoughts on the weakness in that business. Are there certain end markets uh, or verticals uh, doing poorly as you know some of your competitors in that business have seen some better year-over-year trends so i'm just curious maybe where you're seeing some areas of weakness and is it uh, more some clients maybe waiting for the new 5g products and then lastly within that uh, area just what are your thoughts on the cradle point sale to ericsson how might that change the competitive environment and also you know how can that maybe show that this business of yours might be undervalued locked into your stock price thank you yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks for that question. So, in uh, the enterprise gateway market, we have a couple areas that um, you know we we, we lead in uh, in in public safety and in ruggedized mobile commercial environments. Uh, in the commercial side, um, markets like oil and gas have traditionally been large for us, um, and, uh, and and other markets like that have been more disrupted by by COVID. Oil and gas is weak, uh, and other areas where there needs to be 
uh, a lot of human involvement for installations. Um, we've seen some slowness there. Public safety has uh, has kept along pretty well um, in areas like transport. Um, you know that whole sector is being um, impacted. So in buses and trains and other markets where our gateways get installed, um, they're either slowing their plans or they're not doing uh, implementations right now. But I'm quite bullish about where things are going with our enterprise business. As, as I mentioned in my remarks, uh, we put quite a focus on this, uh, rebuilt that team. We've grown our pipeline of, uh, of deals that we're working on by 50% so far this year. And so I expect to see uh, as, as, um, as we work through and everyone gets more uh, even without uh, an end to COVID, but uh, but working through the challenges uh, to see that uh, progress, um, we're seeing that um, you know, through our distribution partners where where their businesses are picking up. And I mentioned also uh, some important new relationships, uh, working strongly with with Motorola. Uh, they're a strong leader in public safety, and and we enable uh, a number of things that they do, um, such as their body worn cameras and and other aspects of public safety. And Cynix is a large uh, large distributor. So uh, we've had some areas where um, things have slowed. Uh, Forward-looking for us is uh, tracking pipeline and uh, and the strength that we have there, and you know the the uh, deal activity and flight. Um, I think is encouraging. Um, and the second part of your question with regards to Cradle Point, I think we've seen a a few transactions in this space now. The, the Cradle Point acquisition was at about six times revenue, and, and other transactions have been around three times revenue. So, so clearly, um, our enterprise business is not being valued at those multiples uh, within uh, our space. I think what Ericsson talked about is, um, um, you know, driving their acquisition was was strong overall growth in the enterprise sector. We we believe in that as well, uh, and we think that uh, it's going to be an important part of growth. Um, we compete well in that sector. We, um, you know, our, our products are highly valued. I don't think the market is waiting overly for 5G. We have launched our high-end 5G gateways with more product coming in Q1. Um, our 5G uh, products uh, not only connect to 5G, but they, uh, they support the highest, fastest speed uh, 4G LTE called Cat20. And uh, so as, as companies start to future-proof, I think that's a good upgrade cycle that, uh, that is coming. And we're launching an entirely new uh, cloud management uh, stack during uh, 2021 as well. So, so lots, lots going on in the enterprise sector. Um, and, uh, you know, we expect that to, to be uh, a good growth area for us in 2021. And um, certainly think that we're, we're not getting... Um, recognized in our share price yet, the strong position we have in enterprise. Great. No, thanks. That's very helpful. Um, second question for me, and I'll, I'll pass the line. Just on the uh, the 25 to $30 million in, in cost savings, um, any help you guys can give us just in terms of how much of that comes out right away in Q4 with the divestiture, or maybe you can help us with maybe a non-GAAP run rate for the business uh, post the divestiture, and then how much more of that 25 30 comes out over the course of time? Is it maybe a year or so to take out that 25 to 30, just trying to help us uh, build out our models. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Mike, uh, let me make a few comments and I'll ask uh, Sam to, uh, to provide some um, more data as well. So we've, um, you know, we're really looking at our continuing operation without auto. So the, we expect the auto transaction to close in the next few weeks. Obviously that creates a very strong balance sheet for us. Um, you'll see in the current results that we put out there, the split between continuing operations and auto. Um, the uh, accounting rules are that uh, 
um, any um, sort of shared resources get allocated to the main business. So I would say it, it flatters the profitability from auto and uh, equally is uh, it's less flattering to the ongoing business profitability. Um, we've been making a number of changes already. So we've, uh, uh, we've reduced uh, an R&D center. Um, we will have a, an entire R&D center uh, going uh, out as part of the transaction that we're doing both auto and other work. Um, so those are um, some of the activities that are that are happening and will occur over Q4. So I think you can see a lot of the uh, the run rate uh, will have occurred so that we have a, a cleaner year in 2021. But but Sam, if I could ask you to comment as well. Yeah, thank you, Kent. Um, and thanks for the question. So as you look into Q4 for revenue, uh, the majority of the the decrease from the automotive divestiture closing and right size in the business, most of that will show up in 2021. You'll start to see it earlier in the first half of 2021. So, you know, a big chunk of it's not going to be late in the year, if that helps. Also in Q4, we have some lumpiness in spend on uh, certification. So, you know, to, to help you on the model building, you know, thinking of, of OPEX as sort of flattish to down a bit from, from the quarter uh, Q3 is, is probably the right way to think about it. Great. Thanks for taking my questions and hope everybody stays healthy. Thanks, Mike. Our next question comes from, comes from a line of Danos Morsopoulos from BMO Capital. Looking at the uh, services revenue, there was a nice uptick um, from uh, the June quarter. Uh, you know, if we look at the preceding quarters prior to that, it was kind of in the 26 million range for three quarters, and then it kind of had a nice 3 million bump up sequentially. Um, any dynamic there? Was there maybe a, a backlog of things that you weren't deploying during? The lockdowns, uh, or, or was there some other dynamic that drove that that uh, uptick just from the June quarter? Um, thanks, Thanos. Uh, good to hear from you. Um, so, you know, we're expecting just a continued growth in our services revenue. We've talked about the, the leading indicators with our um, design wins. We're starting to see more of those uh, play through, and and so we think that's just a, an ongoing trend. <clears throat> Q2 was held back. I think hurt the curve just because of. A uh, number of our customers that had um, pay-per-use sort of activity that were much lower in, in revenue in Q2. So while uh, while we still showed sequential growth in Q2, uh, it wasn't as strong as, as the underlying trends. And so there was some of that catch-up in Q3. Um, you know, we've had uh, we did 93 million of LTAR in uh, in 2019. We're already at 95 million this year. That's all future uh, revenue value that's working through the system right now. So as those design wins go into production, um, that will uh, continue to uh, to tick up on a, on a quarterly basis. So I, this is just you know what I've been talking about now for uh, uh, almost two years, just in terms of in Q1 of 2019, we started to vector our business and our resources to be able to drive full IoT solutions with both uh, with both devices and connectivity. Um, the uh, you know what I'm excited about um, Thanos is is you're seeing this, this continued uh, growth this this turning of the corner um, from uh, from winning new business. So while it's been a you know competitive market and some low cost competitors out there, our overall design wins both on services and on hardware have uh, have ticked up nicely year to date. Um, and so um, our our offers out there to the market are being well received. We're uh, we're winning more business. We've seen our win rate increase, and uh, and so that uh, that will uh, will drive through. On the hardware side, you have some things like LPWA, which are lower ASPs. So those 
uh, don't help the overall revenue growth, but when they uh, when they carry service activity with them, um, then you uh, you can see that uh, come in our, our higher margin and um, uh, more predictable recurring revenue uh, kicks in. And I think that the design wins that I talked about, the three examples here are reflective of what we see going on in the market. So uh, lots of um, you know lots of good value being created. Um, by delivering a complete solution for customers, it helps with their speed to market. Uh, it's helping, uh, you know, customers get their IoT solutions and getting the value that they need from that edge data. Um, and uh, it, it's certainly a positive business model for us. So, yes, a good quarter. More to come. Great. Um, looking at the embedded broadband gross margins, um, I know they're down versus last year because of um, uh, mobile computing. But if I look at um, the last couple of quarters, there's been some volatility there. There was a spike in, in margins in Q2. Um, just, just to clarify what drove that Q2 spike, and then as far as a run rate, should we think about uh, Q3 as being more representative for what the gross margin trajectory looks like there with the current mix? Sure, Sam. I'll, 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 key, I'll key you up for that one. Uh, I just want to go say in, in Q2, you know, auto was low. Q3 auto was high. You know, stripping out auto, I think you'd see some more stability, but, but Sam, over to you. Yeah, no, exactly right, um, Kent. And, and also in Q2, our automotive margins were uh, particularly high because of the low volume. We were, be, we were able to take advantage of some better pricing at the lower volume. So automotive was lower plus at better margins in Q2. Now Q3, since embedded uh, broadband only has the remaining business in there and autos carved out, that's more indicative of margins going forward. Sorry, I was looking though at um, the uh, resegmented, so the 35% margin um, X auto on embedded broadband uh, in Q2. So, so Sorry, yeah. Clarify, yeah. So to clarify the question, you're saying you're looking at just the embedded broadband margin without auto in Q2. Exactly. Well? The restated, yeah, the restated numbers. There has been a spike in, in Q2 um, on oh, the. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, understood. Yeah, no, I, I think if, in that case, if you're looking at just that number, a blend yeah. of the two would be a, a blend of those two margins would be a better one going forward. Okay, good. So we'll sort, of, sort of look at Q2 and Q3 and blend them, uh, and that would yeah. be more indicative of going forward. But, um, yeah, we can chat more about it later, but that, that would be a good way to model it. Okay, great. And, and last question for me is just on the supply constraints. Um, can you comment on, I guess, the, the – are you seeing some improvement as, as time's progressing and um, any way to quantify uh, the impact they had on this quarter? Um, well, um, you know, no crystal ball. So, you know, we, uh, we're working with our suppliers and, and uh, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've worked very well with a number of our suppliers, solved a lot of the problems, not all of them. Uh, and then, you know, then you get new pinch points that uh, that come up. So it's a, it's a it's it's constant work, I would say, in the uh, in the in the current environment. You know, some of the big impacts in Q2, where um, you know shutdowns in some uh, areas affected components more um, clearly. Um, you know, those are um, uh, you know, less of the case today. But um, you know, whenever you cause a disruption in a system, there's um, you know, there's, there's still some ongoing uh, activity. So we're, we're still working through it. We're uh, working, uh, you know, with, with our suppliers um, and we're, you know, we're uh, working with our customers as well to, uh, 
increased lead times to ensure that we can get the components that are required. So we're, we're solving the problems in many ways, but it remains tight. All right, thanks, I'll pass one. Our next question comes from the line of Paul Traber from RBC Capital Markets. Oh, thanks very much and good evening. The, you, you mentioned your services win rate has been you know, strong and favorable. Could you elaborate on how your services win rate or attached rate has been trending uh, this year? Have you seen any meaningful change versus previous years? Um, thanks, Paul. Uh, good to hear from you. So I think in terms of our um, attach rate, yes, we are uh, we are seeing that trend up. Um, we, um, you know, um, up 61% on our design wins of of services. I think is is reflective of that. Um, so we, I think, the other pieces. You know, we we really um, we're building out our capability to sell to sell full solutions. Uh, in 2019, we, we built, um, um, you know, brought in more uh, talent on a solutions basis to our sales force. That's had time to embed in um, the existing salespeople that we've um, uh, had involved in the services side are, are now uh, able to sell. So we have we have our full global sales force um, able to offer both hardware and, and full solutions. And so uh, that's definitely helping our uh, our overall win rate. So yeah, I'm I'm very happy with the you know we had we had our LTAR wins in Q2 with COVID. We're down. Uh, we've bounced back and at uh, at 95 million year to date despite COVID uh, being ahead of uh, our entire design win from uh, from 2019. I think is very positive, and I expect to end the year strong. Could you delve a bit further into the competitive dynamics for services? Uh, like when you look at your um, competitive advantage, is the, is the biggest one the fact that you're an integrated or end-to-end provider, you know, or maybe looking at it another way is, you know, how successful is your services business or how's the attach rate or the win rate um, without leads coming from your hardware business? So on top of, you know, third-party or competitor hardware. Sure. Yeah. No insightful question. So um, first of all, it's a big competitive advantage for a customer that's looking to get out uh, into global markets, and I talked about some of my examples in my script, uh, we're able to provide that complete solution. So with embedded connectivity in our devices, as they're shipping their um, their charging stations or their medical solutions to multiple countries, uh, they're not having to worry about the logistics of different SIM cards in different countries, um, different partners, uh, if they have connectivity issues, different people to call. Uh, we handle that globally. Uh, we manage all issues proactively through our uh, through our global mock. Uh, and our uh, with uh, with multiple carriers uh, per country, it means that we're able to offer better overall uh, quality of service. So when we're selling into an industrial IoT and you're in a factory, um, when we have multiple carriers and can choose the strongest signal, um, when you're in a constrained or a, 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 an environment that's not going to have great coverage because you're indoors, um, that's a big advantage for customers. So I think that's our competitive advantage. And then on your on your question of it, is it just come about? From, um, from having hardware leading to connectivity. Well, it's a big advantage for us because most customers start designing their hardware before they get around to thinking about the, uh, how they're going to attach that. So when we're in there working on the hardware design and we can build in our services, uh, it gives us uh, earlier in the customer's design cycle the ability uh, to share what we can do for them on that connectivity side. Um, however, we also win deals where their uh, customers are just looking to take advantage of our global 
connectivity, being able to have our smart SIM uh, that works seamlessly across uh, 200 countries globally and able to have that multiple, multiple carrier access. Um, and, and then that often leads to us then working with them on winning the hardware. So we can come at it from hardware to services, but we also have uh, quite a number of positive examples of going from services to hardware. So it's, it's good uh, for our salespeople to be able to, to solve those solutions in, in both directions, and, and we're seeing progress on both fronts. Uh, last one for me, you mentioned the prepared remarks. You're seeing impact from uh, low-priced competitors. Um, you know, that's been the, the case for a number of years or, or a long time in this industry. Um, has the, the, I don't think the tariff environment would have had any impact, um, but it, the global move away from Huawei, has that had any impact in the module space at all? Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's been of a substantive impact uh, at this point yet, although it is starting to drive more awareness. You know, there's been quite a uh, – first the U.S. moved on, on Huawei activity and now a number of European countries from a, from a 5G uh, network infrastructure basis. And I think that they're um, – you know, really what, what we provide is uh, um, you know, both high quality and high security, and I think those are, are very important. What we do when we sell complete solutions that have both hardware and connectivity – uh, trust becomes a very major factor, and, and I think that that's a great uh, brand strength and position um, that we have. We've seen a couple of examples where um, customers want to ensure that they're um, having that uh, high degree of security with their solution. Uh, it is becoming more uh, more prevalent, uh, but they're, you know, the, it's not a tariff issue because modules, when they're built into a product, uh, tariffs are built on um, – uh, are based on, you know, the whole product entity, not where the module comes from. Uh, so it's not it's not a it's not a tariff impact part of the business, but it's more a business decision for customers. Uh, we are seeing increasing strategic alignment with tier one industrial IoT companies, where they're trying to digitize all of their assets. I've talked with a number of uh, uh, chief product officers, uh, CEOs of multi-billion-dollar companies. Um, that this is becoming strategic for them now, and they want to digitize their assets uh, in the marketplace. And, and uh, in those cases, I think that um, our 26-year um, history in the market and our strong position on uh, security and dependability uh, give us a big advantage. And do you think, I mean, taking a bit further, do you think the, the, the move away from Huawei and maybe some other uh, China-based vendors, do you think that alleviate the pricing pressure, at least marginally, or do you think it's a, pretty much a fact of life in this industry? So I think that on, um, you know, some of the first IoT use cases that, um, um, <clears throat> that came out and, as, you know, moved to LPWA, I think there can be a lot of, of price pressure um, and that can be relatively low margin hardware only business. <clears throat> but when we bundle it, and a couple of quarters ago, I gave an example of a design with an industrial lighting um, customer. And so that was, uh, you know, about a million dollars worth of uh, hardware, but uh, growing to 1.8 million of recurring revenue per year. And so from the margin produced from a design win, um, you know, the vast majority of the gross margin comes from our recurring revenue versus from the hardware. So offering the whole solution allows us to be as competitive as we need to be up front to, uh, to win the total package. Um, and our uh, overall you know, recurring revenue business is, uh, is, is, is very healthy. Um, so we think that you know, we provide great value to our customers, but also um, get to 
get recurring revenue at, at higher gross margins. So the low price LPWA market, you know, uh, elasticity of demand will will drive a, a lot greater um, growth in the total IoT market. All those devices need to be connected, and uh, so you know, we're 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 in a good part of the value chain for uh, you know the significant growth in LPWA um, projects that uh, that we're seeing out there right now. Okay, thanks for uh, taking my questions. Our next question comes from the line of Todd Copeland from CIBC. Uh, yeah, good uh, good evening, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I had a couple of uh, uh, cleanup questions and then uh, some business questions. Um, what will the pro forma cash be um, post the sale? Sam, you want to take that? So are you asking like what the year end balance of cash will be or what the yeah, more, yeah, more, or less, more, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll close the sale. There'll be a small amount of taxes and fees, but uh, the, the vast majority of that will be on our balance sheet. And, you know, we don't expect to burn a lot of cash in Q4 and moving forward, you know, Q4, we have, we have some CapEx going in to upgrade the network. So, Maybe approximately about five million of cash to burn in Q4, but we expect the rest to remain on our balance sheet. Okay. And when you say minimal taxes, what like two percent, ten percent? So is yeah, it like three to, so, three to three to five million? Okay. So you, you'll you'll basically be adding post the sale, you know, over 155 million in cash to the well, you, set, you, you, set, you, 72, you 72 million. 72 million. Yeah. What? Yeah, you have to read that the 19 million of, of cash is staying with uh, with the buyer on the on the deal. 19 out of the 165. Yeah. Yeah, man, working capital. So, one, six, think, think, so think 165 more. minus the 19 yeah. minus some fees for the bank or minus the tax and the rest is cash. Then we'll burn about you know five million of capex in in the quarter. Um, uh, you know, in Q4. So, and then you'll get your any balance. Or a good approximation of it. Okay. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and then, um, in terms of the the opex, if I did my math right, in Q4, without um, sort of like non-recurring items, it's in the what 49 million range or something like that. And you're basically I think around saying 51, I think. Oh, 51. Okay, so 51. Yeah. Okay. So 51 million, and you're 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 basically saying that that in Q4 that's sort of flat to down with restructuring to date, and then that'll sort of trend down um, over 21, or is that going to go up modestly because you're making other investments? No, no, it will definitely go down in 2021. Uh, that's the 25 to 30 on an annualized basis, and, and those oh. actions were taken in in Q4, the vast majority of them. So in, in Q1 and moving forward, you'll, you'll see a much lower run rate of OPEX. Okay. I just, I mean, you can correct me on this point as well. Sierra Wireless has had a number of restructurings and often the, the, the savings have been reinvested in the business, and which is fine. Um, but you're basically saying you're going to get 8-ish million, near, near 8 million off the 51. Um, 
So you'll bring it into the mid mid 40s at the very least in Q1, and then bring it down a little bit uh, below that over uh, over the course of the year. Is that is that is that the messaging? I think that's the right way to think about it. You're clo- you're close, right? I mean, I mean, eight's a bit high. We said 25 to 30, so you know, six or seven. Um, and and you know, we're not reinvesting those at this time. We're we're committed to growing the business. Like like Ken said, we've been growing sequentially over the last few quarters. Um, and, and we continue to uh, to grow the business, and we're going to do it profitably. So uh, we'll we'll have key investments in areas that we need to, where we see strong growth and that have a strong ROI case. Uh, but overall, you'll see the our opex run rate come down to the to uh, to lower levels in 2020. Todd, Todd, if I could just comment a bit further on that. So when we yeah. um, made some first moves on expense reduction to to get the company leaner. Uh, we were investing in the move to um, selling services and, and our network side. So there was some out and some in, but an example that I mentioned before is is we reduced our R&D uh, that was based in Paris, about a, about 100 uh, R&D staff there um, that were at circa 165000 a year cost. And, and we've been uh, um, focusing on uh, new operating centers like um, Taipei, Taiwan, where, you know, we're at, at uh, average cost per head of, uh, you know, just over 50,000. So, so, so there was some big savings out of getting to lower cost centers. With uh, this move, we, um, uh, with selling of our auto business, we sell a fairly large center uh, that's based in Shenzhen. And uh, we've also uh, announced that we are um, uh, moving out of doing R&D in Hong Kong. And so again, reinforcing our major centers in in Richmond and in Taipei. So so uh, we we no longer need to make any further reinvestment in the services side. That part of our uh, strategy is complete and producing results, as uh, as I outlined here. Um, so um, and also a, a big part of selling our auto business was being able to get a real focus on the key parts of our business. So driving our industrial IoT business and driving our enterprise business, and uh, and, and with that focus. Um, and the number of centers that we've reduced from an R and D perspective, I look for us to be much more efficient going forward, and, and, and you'll see that show up in our opex in uh, 2021. Okay, perfect. Um, one, one one sort of last cleanup, and then I want to ask you about the business. So the gross margin is more or less 35%. Um, I mean, is that is that the right way to to sort of think about the gross margin? Is it like I mean, you talked about some puts and takes before, but is that like a reasonable base as with with modest sales growth sam do you want to jump in there yeah sure um no i do i do think 35 percent is a good way to think about the business um ken just mentioned to you you know the altar that we have uh, been winning uh those design wins are gonna are you know indicating that in the future you know as these turn on we, we will get a good ramp up there you start to see a uh, real improvement of that in, in, uh, in, in 2022. So I think 35% as you're looking into, into 2021 and, and Q4 is a good way to think about the business with, with some small uh, improvements on that number. And in 2022, you, you start to see even more improvements as you kind of ramp up connected devices. Uh, you know, you get better pricing from scale and, and uh, the business is, uh, continues to grow. But in the near term, that's a good way to think about margins. For the consolidated business. Okay. okay. Sorry, one follow up on that. So, have you guys talked about what the sort of post 2022 LTAR or recurring revenue gross margin might look like? I mean, is that like 
typical SaaS margins, you know, 50, 60, 70%? Um, what, we've, what we've talked about, Todd, previously is that our, you know, our overall services revenue was around 40% gross margin. Um, it's not like SaaS and that it's not all software. We have uh, direct COGS associated with the uh, wholesale deals we have with carriers. We do get scale advantage on the network part that we own in our MVNO. Um, and as we get more scale, we get uh, we get better leverage on our our total cost with uh, with carriers overall. But but I think that that's more of a um, modeling point on uh, on gross margin on uh, on services. Uh, we have some software aspects that can be uh, higher gross margin, particularly in our cloud management or enterprise products. But uh, but the services part uh, is, is you know uh, very good for the industry, but uh, not to SaaS levels yet. Okay, okay, that's uh, certainly fair. Um, very good. And then, and then just on the recurring piece, you know, you're starting to break out details on that, which is certainly good to see. Um, what about retention and churn? Is that, is that something you're, you're wanting to talk about at this point? Is it above a hundred percent? Is it, is it like, you know, sometimes people look at that, that group of programs you win and they just wonder whether the enterprises will, you know, actually move forward on them. So what's your thinking on that? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a complicated uh, formula, but let me try to, to, to break into a couple of big blocks for you. I think on the new business that we win, and we're connect, connecting, uh, you know, global machine makers, so pumps, compressors, HVAC, lighting, uh, the churn's very low. Uh, we get into a product, um, there, for the life of that product, we're shifting data. Uh, there is almost never a truck roll to go and, uh, change the uh, the network settings on that, and um, you know as we as we provide our global network operating support to customers, um, you know that that's a very uh, positive uh, low churn metric. Um, <clears throat> we acquired businesses to get in in scale, and so those were less attached to to some you know, sort of the global machine activity. So. Uh, our acquisition of Maingate in Scandinavia and Numerex uh, in the U.S. Uh, had some some uh, parts of those business that do have some attrition with them. So we've been, you know, growing overall um, despite some attrition on those legacy acquired businesses. Now I would note that in the, uh, you know, what were the the, the assets from Numerex? Um, our our team's been doing a very good job of of managing those customers. Uh, that part of the portfolio we've returned to growth. Um, and it's um, it's a it, it, it's going to uh, going to continue to grow as we move forward into 2021 and, and growing at very uh, healthy margins. So um, um, you know there there is some churn from legacy programs, but uh, our overall growth of of new connected devices is uh, is far outrunning that. And in some areas of legacy, we've also uh, turned that uh, turned that back around to growth as well. So um, you know in our in our plans, we've talked about for overall recurring revenue growth. Uh, you know, we're we have we have a strong view on customer retention. Um, all those devices need to continue to be connected unless the machine is is taken out of service, and um, and so we work to uh, provide that continuously for our customers. Okay, good. Okay, my last question is on 5G. I was interested to hear you talk about millimeter wave. My impression in the U.S. was that wasn't available in too many places, and it's you know airports and sports stadiums, which aren't really getting used in the pandemic very much. Um, so what what's sort of the path to millimeter wave? Is is it 
like a decent chunk of the LTAR at this point? And how, how significant is that technology that you called out? Is this a, is this a material growth driver for the company? Thanks a lot. Sure. Um, so thinking about 5G, uh, most of our early revenue from 5G is always all going to be equipment revenue. Um, we are not, uh, we're not working to connect many 5G um, devices yet, that sort of <clears throat> higher end, higher bandwidth. Uh, we work with our carrier partners on, on that connectivity in the main. Uh, what we're seeing is a uh, sale of 5G modules. So we have, uh, I mentioned the previous quarter, a number of uh, design wins that uh, we've had in 5G. So we've done a, a very strong job of, uh, of winning uh, 5G uh, module business to connect other uh, network providers' equipment. Uh, we're working to get that certified with carriers around the world and, uh, and starting to ship product. Uh, and the other side is in our network gateway business. Um, we, uh, we launched our first uh, high-end MG90 5G gateway um, and providing that uh, in both uh, what, what you'd call the lower speed 5G or sub-6 and then the uh, uh, higher capacity, low latency, millimeter wave uh, our products do both varieties of uh, of that. Um, I think that a lot of times when you're acquiring equipment, you want to future-proof it. So the uh, the split between uh, sub six and millimeter wave, I think it'll be years before we know exactly how that goes. For the industry to get true massive capacity increase, it's going to be on millimeter wave. Um, that uh, that those are new frequencies that, that bring more capacity. Um, the nature of high frequency means you need smaller cells, but smaller cells give you much more capacity, uh, and it also has the benefits of, uh, of low latency. So I think a lot of applications that are going to rely on the high-speed, low latency are, uh, are still in the invention process. Um, but, you know, like, like 4G brought the advent of many products that wouldn't have worked without the speed of 4G. Uh, you know, 5G will do the same. So right now for 20, you know, for, for Q4, 5G revenue is going to be small. There's a lot of proof of concepts going on. In 2021, there's still some variability uh, in terms of how rapid the rollouts customers are, are working to make sure they get product out there. 5G is still significantly more expensive as a product than, uh, than equivalent uh, uh, 4G uh, devices or gateways. Um, I think that that, that uh, price premium will fall over time and the, uh, benefits and need for that speed will increase. So we'll, we'll see uh, ever-increasing 5G as time move forward. A similar adoption cycle we saw in the move from 3G to 4G. Uh, this, is just a, this is just a bigger one in terms of the price gap is higher, uh, but the uh, performance um, uh, uh, potential of 5G is also significantly higher. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Appreciate that, Colin, and I agree with, with that on the 5G. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Operator, any more questions? Our last question comes from Liner Richard C. from National Bank. Hi, guys. Uh, congrats on the win this quarter. This is I'm um, here calling in for Richard. Um, just had a quick question for you uh, regarding the rolling lockdowns that are starting in Europe and possibly uh, coming in North America. Just wondering if, uh, if you guys are seeing any impact on the business and how you're thinking about that going into 2021. Yeah, good question. Thank you. Well, you know, yeah, sure, we all would like to be able to uh, to get back to normal and um, sit in customers' offices and uh, be able to, uh, um, you know, spend more uh, face-to-face time. Uh, but we have gotten pretty used to selling um, through 
uh, you know, video calls and dialogue. Um, our uh, our field engineers able to uh, to practice uh, safety protocols uh, when required to uh, to help with uh, with field aspects. So the um, you know the the lockdowns that uh, that we've seen uh, coming across uh, Europe, um, it's not been an, an impact to the same degree as we saw in Q2. Um, I think people have figured out how to do business more. Um, so it's not it's not ideal, but it's not. Uh, you know, it's not of that. Uh, it's not of that nature uh, overall. Um, we, uh, you know, we're uh, our um, sales teams. I think have done a, a great job. Our, our product marketing people have been able to get information out. And I think that overall, the the need for digitization uh, is becoming more apparent um, um, with uh, with with the the new world um, that we live in now. So. People want to have their assets digitized, being able to get that information without needing to have humans to go out to the to the machines. Um, as the, the speed at which that happens is somewhat constrained by COVID, uh, but uh, you know we have lots of uh, lots of strong uh, projects going on. So you know I, I just sort of reiterate some of the key points. You know we've we've seen a, a, a very strong um, growth in our design wins for services. So I think that you know despite the you know the COVID activity. Um, being up uh, 61%, we've grown our design wins on uh, on hardware by over 20%, um, and this has all been done in this uh, you know non face-to-face -face selling world. Um, and we've grown our enterprise <clears throat> pipeline for projects we're working on in the enterprise business by over 50%. So we're 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 working through this, and and uh, maybe a little slower to get all those deals papered and launched, but the um, the velocity of what's coming in is uh, has been increasing very nicely. Okay. Thanks for that caller. I'll pass the line. Thank you. There are no more questions on the phone line. Okay, great. Well, I thank everybody for their uh, for their attention. Um, very pleased to share what's going on with the Sierra Wireless business, um, and uh, we'll be speaking to to many people as uh, as follow up and uh, sharing the activity um, as we close the auto business. We'll be putting out uh, an announcement about that as well. And um, we will uh, wish everyone uh, the best of health and, and safety in these uh, in these challenging times. And uh, we will uh, uh, come back with with updates on our progress. So many thanks, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating, and you may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 